Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. If you think about it rationally, you can have an affair and, and you, know, you can make up for it. Although you may argue it's not so simple, because the Talmud says, if a person sins, and he says to himself, I'm sinning, you know why I'm sinning? I'll sin today, and eventually I'll do truth. Eventually I'll do truth. I'll start my diet after I have this, this delicious piece of cake. The Talmud says it doesn't work. Such a person will not be given the opportunity to do Teshuvah. So he explains, this is all in the, in the parentheses. So he explains it's not so. The Talmud doesn't mean you cannot do Teshuvah. Even in that case, when a person sinned only because he relied on his Teshuvah. So it's the Teshuvah that caused him to sin because he felt relaxed. No big deal. I'll sin and I, I can make up for it later. The Talmud doesn't mean he cannot do Teshuvah. Let's now look carefully in the wording of the Talmud. The Talmud says he won't be given the opportunity to do Teshuvah. It becomes very difficult for him to do Teshuvah. Because he's relaxed. And he's relaxed about it. And he thinks, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. I can always take care of it later. He's not worried. But what if a person pushes himself and nevertheless does Teshuvah? And Shuva helps in anything. There's nothing in the world that Shuva doesn't help. No matter how far the relationship has got, you can always make amends. And this is the mystery of Teshuva. This is of repentance. This is the, the divine miracle of repentance. As Alter Rebbe uses the analogy elsewhere, he says it's like, you know, we can transplant a heart. We can transplant a, an arm that's severed, you can, you, can, you can transplant, you can sew together, sew back. But once the head is severed, you can't, you can't put the head back. It's all over. Life is over. Teshuvah is the equivalent of severing a head, and yet miraculously, we can't do it physically, but in the spiritual sense, when you spiritually sever off your head, when you do a sin that the Torah says you've cut yourself off from your people, you've severed yourself off from the people, it's all cut off. Nevertheless, Teshuvah helps on anything. You can reattach the head. In a spiritual surgery, you can reattach the head, no matter how far you've gone. So even when the Torah says that Teshuvah doesn't help, or we don't give you the opportunity to do, to do Teshuvah, or you, you don't give yourself the opportunity to do Teshuvah, but if you push yourself and you do Teshuvah, nevertheless, Teshuvah helps in everything. You can mend everything. There's nothing, as long as you're breathing, as long as you're alive, there's nothing in the world that Teshuvah can help. So you can always make amends. You can always... Re- reconnect. You can always restore the marriage. You can always restore the relationship. So therefore, logically, a person may say to himself, Why not? I'll bow down to the idol. Why shouldn't I bow down to the Yes, it's an affair. Yes, it's disrupting and severing the marriage. But it's not final. I can always do teshuva. So al brings this parenthetically. And he brings a concept if a person sins, and he says, I sin in order that I will do Teshuvah. I'll do Teshuvah later. It's not going to work. It's a very dangerous, dangerous road that the person is taking. It's a slippery path. Because the person is completely relaxed. The truth is, the only time that exists for us, in a real sense, is now. They did a study 
people who quit smoking, those who kept off the cigarette the day they made the decision to quit smoking, were ten times as likely to stay off the cigarette. Those who broke their commitment during the first 24 hours were ten times as likely to, to revert, not to stay with their commitment. Why? Because the truth is, the only time that exists is now. So a person who's thinking in terms of now, today, I made a decision, a commitment to stay off the cigarette, and now, today, these 24 hours, I'm off the cigarette. What's tomorrow? Tomorrow is also today. Tomorrow becomes today. So your frame of reference is always now, today. One day at a time. Today, I'm not going to smoke. A person who quit, and yet he broke it within 24 hours, means it's abstract. Oh, tomorrow, I'll, I'll, I'll start the diet after the cake. I'll start it tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. There's no such thing as tomorrow. The only time that exists is now. Tomorrow becomes now. So it's always in the future. You know? He says it's in the future and always will be. You know? <laughs> it, it, it's not real. There's no sense of reality. So the truth is the only sense of reality is now, the eternal now. There's no tomorrow. And we forget who we are. And we forget who, what our real nature is. And this is the human condition. The human condition is that we're not in touch with ourselves. Most people, it's safe to say, most people are not in touch with themselves. Most people sleepwalk through life. In the moment of truth, you discover who you are. Some mad scientist blew up the hydrogen bomb tomorrow, and he knew we had 24 hours left to live, we would discover who we really are. And it probably has nothing to do with the person that we thought we were, and perhaps for years, for decades. In the moment of truth, you discover what really matters to you, what your real priorities are, who you really are, what you really care about. And many times it has nothing to do with who you think you are. Things that you wanted to ten was the most important thing in the world and you had no time for anything else, no time and energy. At the end of the day, it's meaningless to you. Who cares? When you have 24 hours left to live, it means nothing. And things you had no time for, this is the most important thing. In... So what does that mean? That means that we sleepwalk through life. We're not in touch with our real selves. So all a person has to do is really to remember, to wake yourself up. It's just to wake up and to remember. Let me remember, what am I really all about? Who am I really? And how do I know what I'm all about? The proof is in the pudding. In a moment of truth, you discover who you really are and what you're really all about. So all you need is to remind yourself. And that's something that everyone is capable of doing. There's no one who's not capable of doing. Anyone who has a mind, who has a brain, who can think and just realize and just become aware and just focus on it for a moment. Well, who am I? What is my true nature? What, is, what are my priorities? Freedom is when you're actual, when you're able to realize your potential, when your actual is a reflection of your potential. That's a free person. Of course it's effort. Of course it's hard work. But it's, it's rewarding work because you're being true to yourself. There's nothing more rewarding than being... Than being Truth to yourself. The athlete who has to lead a very disciplined life and then so gracefully, you know, you see him on the court and seems so effortless and so graceful because you don't see the hours and the, the discipline that they put into their, their craft. But that's a freedom because he freed himself to, he realized his potential. He had a talent and he was able to realize his potential. 
And the same is with every area. Any person who has a talent, in order to develop that talent, takes tremendous effort and discipline. But that's a free person. A free person is not someone who, who's free to do anything. That, that's not freedom. That's slavery. That's addiction. A genuinely free person is someone who's able to really be in touch with himself. Who's able to truly actualize everything, everything that's going on inside of him. The good news is, we're not who we think we are. Thank God. There's so much more to us. There's so much depth to us. That's hidden. That's deep down. And the Torah gives us the ability to tap into that richness. To expose, to reveal that richness. To connect with that richness. Your genuine nature. When you do the right thing, as difficult as it is, when you do the right thing, that is the most natural thing in the world. And once that clicks inside of you, once you make that connection, once you realize that, it dramatically changes everything. Not that you have to recreate yourself and become a new person reborn again. You don't have to recreate yourself. You don't have to be reborn again. You just have to remove the dust. Blow away the dust. Blow away the dirt. And just reveal the gem that's there. Once you realize that you have a gem, every time you're doing a mitzvah, once you realize how precious it is, and how profound it is, then you do it with enthusiasm. And it feels natural. So ironically, by overcoming and making a sacrifice, and overcoming your urge or your instinct, that feels the most natural. No one ever regretted doing the right thing. It takes discipline, it takes strength, it takes awareness. But once you do it and you overcome it, you feel like a million dollars. You sleep like a baby at night. When you succumb to your urges and your instincts and you just follow the path of least resistance and you just follow your superficial nature, the siren inside of you, at the end of the day, you feel empty, hollow, shallow. You feel guilt-ridden. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel wholesome. It makes you sick inside spiritually, psychologically, and even physically, ultimately even physically. This is a truth that we know in our gut. We forget. But then, it's like you have a moment of recognition. When you wake up, you have a moment of recognition. Yes, of course, I always knew this. It's a truth that you always know. It's an eternal truth that we know deep down in our gut, in our kishkas. And then it just, we just have to allow it to emerge. And it changes your life. This becomes the foundation of Torah and Mitzvah. Because if a person views the Torah and Mitzvah as something that's alien and foreign and distant, and I'm doing it just to get a share in the world to come, so I'm going <laughs> I, to... I agree to make myself miserable for the 120 years that I live because it's all for the, for the share in the world to come. So 120 years of misery for eternity sounds like a good deal. You missed the whole point. You missed the whole point. 120 years of misery. Misery. Following the Torah and Mitzvah is misery. Moshe is saying it's karev, it's close to you. You do it lovingly, passionately, joyfully. With excitement, enthusiasm. Misery. This is your true nature. So it totally transforms. This is not only, this is the Alter Rebbe is even talking to a Jew who's already committed, who's observant. But it's soulless and it's joyless and it's lifeless and 
it's, 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 it's a life of misery. But he's sacrificing 120 years of misery for, you know, it's a trade-off <laughs> for, for eternity, eternal pleasure. He says nothing. You're, miss, you're missing the whole point. God forbid, it's not misery. This is joy. It's natural. To be Jewish is natural. It's when we do the wrong thing. That's misery. That's not our genuine nature. We have to recognize that's not our genuine nature. Not to follow the Torah, not to do the Torah, or to transgress and violate prohibition, that is unnatural. To do the right thing is the most natural thing in the world. Joyful, natural. And this is something that each and every one of us could become aware of. And it will dramatically transform our lives. Make us into vibrant Jews. Joyful Jews. We have a live relationship with God, a living relationship with a living God. You may think to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute. If in the case of idolatry, there, clearly I'm giving up the relationship. It's like a question of being unfaithful. It's like asking in a marriage one spouse to be unfaithful. Clearly, in the case of idolatry, you denied your God. You denied your Jewishness. The ultimate sin. Versus if I do something minor. How can you compare something minor to something major? As he explained earlier, there is a distinction between minor and major. After the sin, a major sin, you create a, a, a deep scar. You need a more intense teshuva to make amends to remove the scar. A small sin, a minor sin, you made a minor mess. So after the fact, there are distinctions. So maybe a person will think to himself, how can you compare? In the case of idolatry, clearly I'm severing the relationship. It's a, it's a case of being unfaithful. A minor sin. Okay. Okay. My wife asked me to take out the garbage and I didn't. I mean, so if I didn't, it's not, it's not that I'm being unfaithful. It's the end of the marriage. It's all over. How can you compare? You know, if you have an affair, that's, that's the end of the, you know, that's being unfaithful. But doing a minor thing, how can you compare? So maybe in the case of idolatry, which is equivalent to being unfaithful, yes, I would rather die. The marriage means so much to me, I'm not going to sever the marriage. But in the case of a minor sin, I don't feel I'm suffering the marriage. It's not ideal. If I love my wife, I love my spouse. I should do everything, major, minor, doesn't matter. But nevertheless, it's not the end of the marriage. We're not even, not even running to a marriage counselor. It's not the end of the world. I mean, it's not, not a major thing. So the Rebbe is now going to dispel that notion. He says, no, that's, that's a false comparison. Why? Because he's going to explain, even in the case of idolatry, which is like being unfaithful, which is like uh, having an affair. There are marriages that have survived that too. We have a concept of teshuva. You can always repent. There are marriages that are so bad off that you thought it's hopeless, and then miraculously they, they, they... they worked it out and they even achieved a much more intense level of love, a deeper level of love, and the marriage only became stronger as a result. They forgave each other and they discovered a new depth, a new, fresh, 
fresh level of in, 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 in their relationship. So the truth is, no matter how much you sin, ultimately, there's always, there's always, you can always make up. You can always mend. It doesn't mean you will, but there is a possibility. And nevertheless, it's very clear in your mind that if you had that choice, just be unfaithful, just for, just for a moment. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to destroy the marriage. Even though you have the possibility, who says it's going to destroy the marriage? Maybe eventually you can... But you don't make calculations. Why? Because it's a marriage. It's a relationship. I'm not thinking logically and rationally. Yes, maybe logically and rationally the marriage could survive this too. <laughs> I can sever the relationship and then I can do truva and, and I can mend. It's a possibility. Logically and rationally, it's a possibility. But it's... It's a marriage. I can, how can I be unfaithful to my spouse? I don't want to do anything to be unfaithful, even though later on I can make up for it. I just don't want to. I can't. I simply can't do that. Period. This connection that we have really transcends, transcends all rational arguments, any sense of time and space. It's, it's an eternal moment. It's an eternal connection. And therefore... Even if it's for a moment, it, it's an eternal moment. And it's not a possibility. It's simply not an option to be disconnected from God. It's not a question of, you know, well, it's only for a moment, and a moment later I can make up for it. Even a moment is a moment too long. This, firstly, it's an eternal moment. The slightest moment in time. Has has meaning. If it can affect my relationship can affect my marriage, can affect my relationship with God, then that moment, that slight moment, become, becomes very momentous and becomes very weighty and becomes very meaningful. It's not, so what? It's a slight moment. It doesn't matter. The slightest moment, the slightest movement, but it's, it, it becomes weighty. How can I do anything that goes contrary to that inner, inner connection that I have? How can I be unfaithful? And that's simply not an option. That's simply not an option. When the person is external, external, everything is calculated. Everything is time. We live in a framework of time and space. So you make a calculation. This is major, this is minor, this is just a moment. And, I, and even if it's a terrible sin, I can always make up, for it, make up for it later. But once you touch a place that transcends our whole frame of reference, transcends our whole frame of reference of time and space, it's not calculated. It's not about ego. It's an end in itself. It's 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 a live relationship. Then it's eternal. There's no, it's not a question of a moment. Yes, maybe I could make up for it later, but it's just not a question. How can I sever my head? It's just simply not an option. Therefore, just like a Jew would not worship idols, even for a split second, even though you can make amends for it, so too a Jew could not sin. Simply can't sin. But the proof is, <laughs> we do. <laughs> And that's, that's, that's the strange part. That's the question. As the Zohar says, says in the Torah, a soul that will sin. The, Torah, the question the Zohar puts a big question mark in. Nefesh the tevah. It's a question mark. How can a person sin? It's only, as the Talmud says, it's a moment of insanity. It's a, it's a crime of passion, a crime of insanity. You're insane. You can't. It goes against your nature. Could an animal jump into fire? How can you sin? How can you jump into fire? How can you self-destruct like that? How can you harm yourself? 
It's just a moment of insanity. You become completely oblivious to reality, to your reality, to your truth. And it's like, it's like, it's like a, a dibuk took possession of you. It's not the real you, as Jackie Basin says. It's not the real you. You have this alien voice speaking inside of you. It's environment, circumstances, evil inclination, but it's not you. And this is reflected in Allah. Allah states, in the times when the Jewish court had power, if a Kohen married a divorced woman, a Kohen is not allowed to marry a divorced woman, the Jewish court would force him to give a divorce, but not allow him to live in sin. And the question is, Maimonides poses the question, we know in the laws of divorce that it has to be done willingly. If it's not done willingly, it's not worth the paper it's written on. So how can the Jewish court force the Kohen to give the divorce when he's yelling and screaming, but I love her, and I'm giving a divorce because you're beating me, I have no choice. You're forcing me. It feels unnatural. I Naturally, I love her and I want to live with her. What does the Torah say? What does my man, how does my man his answer? It's not true. We look him in the eye and we say, you're lying. Deep down, you want to do the right thing. You don't know. You don't, you're not in touch with yourself. When you say, I agree to divorce, that's the real you. That's your true voice speaking. It's the other part that you, that you say, no, I want to be natural. I want to be a, natu- I want to be a genuine bum. It feels so natural. That's the lie. That's not the real you. That's your external, superficial nature. But when you do the right thing, that's your genuine nature. That's your authentic nature. That's who you are. That's your reality. And if you're in touch with that reality, to sit is not an option. And it's a big surprise, a big question mark. How is it even possible for us to sit? The answer is that we're, we're, we're asleep. We're so out of touch with ourselves. It's insanity. It's a frightening thought how, how, in touch, how out of touch we are with ourselves. The proof is in the moment of truth. The truth comes out. And we discover that our inner selves is the exact opposite of, of who we thought we were. So that's the human condition. It's called immaturity. We're totally out of touch with ourselves. Thank God we have a Torah. And the Torah gives us like a, if we're able to take a spiritual x-ray of our innermost being. That's the Torah. The Torah is a, is a spiritual x-ray of who we are. The Torah is not imposing upon us a lifestyle when the Torah tells a Jew to, not to do something. The Torah is not imposing upon us to act unnaturally. But I want to be a genuine bum. It feels so natural. Why should I discipline myself and try to put myself into a straitjacket and try, don't do this and don't do that? All these artificial societal prohibitions. The answer is it's not artificial, it's not societal. It's divine. This is your nature. This is who you really are. And the Torah says, don't do something. The Torah is looking us in the eye and telling us, deep down, you don't want to do this. And if you convince yourself otherwise, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. Simply not true. Deep down, you want to do the right thing. Only God, our Creator, has the ability to look us in the eye and tell us point blank, you're lying, you're deceiving yourself. What you, the way you're behaving is so unnatural. 
It's self-destructive, and it's so unnatural. It's so alien. It's so foreign from your true nature, from who you really are. You're violating yourself. You're violently going against your nature. When you do the Torah, you do the right thing. It's soothing. It's genuine. It's natural. It's real. And the proof is, we're here 3,800 years later. Never left the front page. Every one of us, our ancestors for thousands of years, faithfully kept to the Torah and the mitzvot, 613 mitzvot. This is the proof to what the Alter Rebbe is saying. This is genuine. This is authentic. This is natural. It's everything else that's unnatural. And that's ephemeral. And it's, it's just meaningless. And just a fad and a phase and passing. This is eternal. This is reality. Eternally, eternity, this is reality. This is, this is our genuine nature. And therefore, to unplug, to disconnect, even for a split second, even for a moment, it's simply not an option. And all the calculations in the world, well, it's, it's not being unfaithful, it's just a minor thing. It's just for the moment, I'll do trivial later. So yes, logically and rationally, it may make sense in an abstract way. But in the real way, there's no such thing. How can I be unfaithful now? It's not an option. I don't care what my options are. Yes, I have an option. I can sever my head, have the fear, and, and, and work it out later. It's simply not an option. How can I deny my core, my essence? How can I deny my relationship? How can I sever this relationship? This relationship is now. It's real. It's eternal. There's no... It's simply not an option. And therefore, since the only sense that we have is now, the eternal now. And this relationship is so alive and dynamic and vibrant and real. It's a live wire. And for the sa- therefore, for the same reason I will not commit adultery, for the same reason I will not have an affair, for the same reason I cannot sever this relationship, for that same reason I cannot even transgress or violate a minor prohibition. For the same reason that I'm ready to make the ultimate sacrifice and give up my life, for that same reason I'm ready for this moment, ready to give up, to make a small sacrifice, to sacrifice whatever pleasure, imaginary pleasure I thought I may have from doing the transgression, from violating the transgression, from doing something immoral, unethical. Whatever pleasure that may give me, I'm I'm ready to sacrifice. It's not worth it. I'm not going to give up my relationship just for this momentary pleasure. It's simply not worth it. So therefore, any distinction between a minor sin and a major sin is insanity. To make any distinctions is an act of insanity. There is no distinction. And any distinction that we make is, is an act of folly. It's absurd. It means you're totally out of touch totally disconnected. Don't realize what's at stake. That we have a real relationship with God. It's not a question of scoring points. Of It's a marriage. It's alive. It's real. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky